0: Welcome back to the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. In this week's episode, we've got a stacked roster of topics. We've got the awards, the major awards for this NBA season. We've got our impressions so far on the games that have been played in the bubble. And we'll be breaking down this year's title contenders in the East and Western Conference. I'm John Gallardo.
1: And I'm Jeffrey Tram.
0: And thank you for listening to the NBA's most valuable podcast on Spotify. And we will now be on YouTube going forward. As you can see, I have a fresh haircut, and I'm ready to be broadcasting on YouTube. <laughs> um, Jeff, how are you feeling so far? How's been your How's your week been going? Uh, not
1: too bad. Glad that the NBA's back. Great games. Lots of exciting drama to talk about.
0: i um, excited. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of drama. We're gonna talk about the NBA awards. So as of July 30th, the awards have been already voted for by the media members. So as of now, the award races are over. So none of the performances in the bubble are gonna be counted for um, MVP or any of the major awards. So anybody that was talking about TJ Warren winning MVP, I'm sorry, maybe next year, but um, We're going to start off by talking about the Rookie of the Year race. So generally, there are three guys that are talked about in this race. Jeff, how about you um, intro two of them, and then we'll talk about the third one.
1: Uh, So basically, the two that everyone's been talking about is either John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies and Zion Williamson uh, from the uh, Morant Rookie of the Year um just so we, based on the fact that he's played like a lot of he has a bigger sample size than zion zion came in pretty late into the season and although he had some flash flashes of uh, great good games excitement uh highlight reels like the work John Morant has done with memphis in helping them become uh contenders well at least in the bubbles um, is impressive while Zion likes the work of ingram um which we will talk about later on um and the piece around has um helped the team and Zion's impact has been as impactful as ja has. so there I picked Ja Moritz to win
0: yeah, for sure, I think Ja has the award on lock just because he has that that um Consistency in his playing, where he's played most of the season, whereas Zion only played what like twenty or thirty games, and him winning the Rookie of the Year just on that alone is that would be like a robbery in my opinion. Because Jaw definitely deserves it, and he's also carried his team to the eighth seed, so that's another thing that's worth mentioning. The other candidate for Rookie of the Year would be Kendrick Nunn of the Miami Heat. Who did have a little bit of uh, drama and beef with uh, John Morant in terms of uh, winning the Rookie of the Year award because he also has a claim to the fact that he's on a winning team. He's in he's on the Miami Heat, who are currently fifth in the fifth in the Eastern Conference or fourth fourth place. Sorry. Yep, and he's been a starter for the team for most of the year, so he has that going to his case, but. The way I see it, Jaws has has the award on lock, no doubt.
1: And with none, like for um, Jaws, like Jaws, a big impact on the team. While um, none, I mean, you have got Jimmy Butler, you got Bam, uh, even guy like Hero, um, and like they're a very deep team. And none, especially early in the season, he had a very impressive start, but he's faltered a little bit, and like his just his impact hasn't been as big as. Ja Morant.
0: Yeah, no doubt. If you switch places, if you put Kendrick and Nunn in Ja Morant's spot, I don't necessarily think the Memphis Grizzlies would be as successful as they have been with Ja on running their point spot. So definitely yeah. think Ja is our pick for Rookie of the Year. Going on yeah, to most and Moses- Zion's,
1: Sorry, I just wanted to say Zion's hype um, is a big reason why our simple, who are, are seeing that he should win rookie of the year against the commentators. Um, and he is very, uh, like, you see the highlight dunk, um those big blocks and just the hype around his name. But his sample size is so small. Let him play a few games before he makes a claim like that. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not even fair for him, too. His expectations are so high. Like, he's proclaimed as, like, the next LeBron. Um,
0: like, just chill. Just let him play. Yeah, for sure. Um, coming out of college and even coming out of high school, he was like one of the most touted prospects of our time. Like I, I think since what, like last 10 years, the most hyped guys are probably like Andrew Wiggins and then Zion probably. But Zion has a chance to be great, but we can't put him at that pedestal yet because he still, like you said, he needs to play games and show us that he is great before, you know, we put him there. And going along that line of expectations, I hate the word bust because the reason why people call players a bust is because we set expectations for them and we set player comps for them too. So coming out of the draft, like you look at a guy like, um, Markel faults, for example, people were touting him as like, Oh, the next James Harden. And when he doesn't equate to that, well, that's cause it's, it's not necessarily his fault. It's just that we put that label on him that he's supposed to be the next James Harden. Or um, famously, uh, Mike Corzemba called Lonzo Ball, Steph Curry with um, Russell Westbrook athleticism. And he wasn't even close to that. He was more like Rondo. So I think the media also is kind of to blame for sometimes putting too too high of an expectation for a lot of players. So I think we need to stop using the word bust and we also need to stop, like, hyping up expectations for these players.
1: I think the bust is thrown out too loosely. I think there is, there are some cases where the word bust can be applicable. I think the idea of a bust is the idea that a player did not live up to his expectations. I think that, like, there, are, there have been players who could have been way better in their careers than they actually end up becoming. And in situations like that, i call that a bust because that's a waste of potential. Rather, if it's a matter of injuries or things that they can't control, um, that I wouldn't call them bust. Like, I wouldn't call Greg in a bust, for example. Um, but someone like a Kwame Brown, you know, he has the height, the skills, and, you know, the, g- probably a very good training staff with the Lakers when he got drafted yet he never lived up to the expectations to be a player that he could potentially be, if you know what I mean.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think the case with Kwame Brown was a lot of, um, he was actually drafted by the Wizards and oh, right. yeah, yeah. he was on the team with Michael Jordan. Um, Michael Jordan drafted him and then Michael Jordan came back afterwards to mm-hmm. play for the Wizards. So, I think he wasn't um, very receptive to Michael Jordan's authoritative leadership style, and I think that really like took away his confidence, and it kind of stunted his growth to an extent as a player. So it's definitely cool. a lot of the bust conversation has to go in with circumstances as well, as well in terms of team and organizational structure. So a lot of where you land to as a player can almost determine what happens in your career, right? Yeah.
1: Circumstances, organization. Um, but there's also the will. Like I do believe, and maybe you agree with this too, that there are players in the NBA who don't have that mental drive to like really want a championship. They're there for the fact that they've made the NBA They're making their money and they're joining the NBA lifestyle, but they don't have the drive or hunger to be as great as they could be. And you can't always blame the organization on that. Sometimes that's on the player themselves. You know, the organization, you know, it's on them to give them the pieces to help you win. But if you as the, the player, the star player, cannot live up to those expectations to lead or be greater than you actually are, then in some ways that, is kind of like a bust, if you think about it. A waste of potential. I think potential and bust associate with each other, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, not to get too far on this tangent, but if you think of guys that didn't live up to their potential, one that definitely comes to mind most recently because of his retirement was Vince Carter. He was looked at as, like, the next Michael Jordan in terms of his athleticism, the way he could, like, get to the rim and fly in the sky. But – And he, at one point he was like up there with Kobe and T-Mac as like the best shooting guards in the league, but he just never quite achieved what someone like Kobe did. And I think that's a testament to um, work ethic. Like you were saying, a lot of players, they're in the league just to get a, get a payday. And I don't blame them. Like, to be honest, they're making a lot of money and I respect them for that. But there are certain players that play the game just because they want to win and they want to be great. And those are the players that we'll be talking about for the next, like, 40, 50 years, you know?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And speaking about players that uh, we'll be talking about for the next couple of years, we'll be talking about most improved. So there are three guys to this race. Um, there's Brandon Ingram, who's um, mm-hmm. emerged on the New Orleans Pelicans as the number one option because Zion's been out for most of the year got Bam out of bio, a key part of their offense and defensive scheme over in Miami. He's Mm -hmm. been able to handle the ball this year, and he's also been a pesky perimeter defender. So he's in the running as well. And then we'll also be talking about Devontae Graham on the Charlotte Hornets, who was mostly a bench player last year. And this year, he's emerged into a starter caliber player. Although, to be fair, the Hornets don't really have a lot of players on their team that can carry a scoring load after Kemba's departure. So that definitely opened up a spot for Devontae. So what do you think, Jeff, um, between these three guys, who do you think can win the award? I think that obviously winning plays a factor. So that,
1: unfortunately, uh, eliminates uh, Devontae Graham. Even though his jump wasn't pretty impressive, being a, uh, a bench player to a starter, kind of similar to Siakam, in a way, only the difference is, you know, point uh the hornets aren't as good of a team obviously um and he is him and um what's his name terry Rozier are basically kind of the only people running the show there um and with the two other players ingram and um bam i would definitely it's a close race i've been really impressed of ingram's run i do Oh, I've always believed his potential, and I think that he didn't really get to showcase that with the Lakers, um, especially um, the, year, the, the first year he played with LeBron. I really thought that like, they would click more, um, but he didn't get like the jump that I expected, but he finally got the jump uh, playing with the Pelicans. Um, and although that's impressive, uh, my pick is Bam Adebayo uh, just because of how he's a big part of why miami is a very strong team um miami as a team has definitely surprised me this year i didn't expect them to be um as good as they are and with the departure of hassan Whiteside, bam now has the minutes uh to really show his potential and he's been a big fit uh for that team alongside of jimmy butler but um yeah my pick is definitely Bam Adebayo.
0: i have to agree with you on that one because I didn't see Bam making this leap in terms of a playmaker because he's so key into their um, offensive initiation. He's averaging 5.1 assists on the year, and he's, I think, one of two or three centers to do that this year. I know Jokic is definitely one of them. So he's already on that level of like a playmaker, maybe not as good as Jokic, but he's, he's there. And the thing with Bam too is he's such a versatile defender. If you've seen his clips against um, Milwaukee this year, he's he's given Giannis a lot of fits on defense. Right. And I think personally, if Miami meets up with Milwaukee in the second round, that's going to be a tough matchup for Milwaukee, just for the fact that they have Bam Adebayo, a guy that can defend Giannis on Tentacumbo and contain that. So I think Bam is definitely a good choice for for most improved. I wouldn't be mad if Brandon Ingram won either, because he made a big leap this year as well. It's definitely tough to um, lead a team offensively. And I think he's done that very well, considering the Pelicans have been pretty banged up most of the year. Um, a couple other players that we could mention for the award are uh, Luka Doncic, because he's made that pretty historic leap from his first to his second season where he was averaging around like 20 points five rebounds five assists last year and now he's like almost a 30 point triple double every night so that's a pretty crazy leap that's worth noting um pascal siakam has also made a big leap this year um not enough to win the award for sure but he's made that leap into a number one scoring option on a very good team
1: of course and like yeah Siakam. You know, you can make the case that he could win it like back to back because and that just is a testament to how much he's improved, like the work ethic that he's put in. And like, of course, it helps that, you know, while leaving, he has more of the touches, but he's stepped up to the plate and um, definitely worth noting because his improvements over the past few years. Very, very impressive.
0: Yeah. And another guy that's kind of in that same conversation as Pascal is uh, Jason Tatum. Um, both of them have kind of had playoff success, and then they've kind of taken it to the next level this year. Tatum was balling out of his mind before the NBA restart. for the Before the NBA shut down, he was playing really well. So um, I could see maybe like him getting like a couple of votes here and there as well as Pascal, but definitely guys that aren't going to win the award. So... How about we talk about the six-man race, Jeff? uh, Who are the guys that we should be looking out for in this one?
1: So, of course, one of the people we have to talk about, as usual, is Mr. Lou Will from the Clippers. Uh, Always always in the conversation. You also got Montreux Harrell, also from the Clippers. And then my pick is Dennis Schroeder from the OKC Thunder. He is a big part of why the thunder are an exciting team this year um i they have a very interesting team with their guard dynamic of chris paul shea and um uh dennis schroeder and like his impact off the bench um not the best defensively but he's a great plug um offensively good scoring off the bench um good playmaker um and he's to me the obvious choice because um, um, even though the Clippers, you know, they're a good team, they got two, they got two of the the three um, main nominations. Um, I just think Dennis has been a has had the biggest impact on winning, and I think that's a big part, a big requirement in the six man
0: um, award. I think some of the. Um merits that go to Schroeder's case is that he went from a largely inefficient player um, in his time with uh, Atlanta. And this year with OKC, especially in those lineups with Shane Gilgis, alexander and Chris Paul, he's uh, shooting a lot better this year. He's actually averaging 47% from the field. So that's coming off of seasons where he shot around like 41%, 43%. So Just that improvement alone shows that, well, he's playing with better playmakers as well, but that improvement coming off the bench, you need a guy on your team that's efficient from from the field and can get you points fast. So I think Schroeder definitely has that. And just talking about OKC for a little bit, that three-man lineup of Schroeder, Chris Paul, and Shea, that's one of the most efficient lineups in the league. So that three-guard lineup is lethal and that's just that's just testament to him honestly for Schroeder because he's played well and I think he's also the pick to make for this award you could argue Lou Williams any year he's always in the running and Montrezl Harrell definitely deserves credit as well him and Lou provide a lot of production off the bench for LA although I, I think if they were both on different teams their stats would probably be a lot better because uh Obviously, you know, more touches for them if they're coming off the bench. So, of course. I think Schroeder is a lock for this one. And OKC is definitely in the running for a lot of awards, which we'll talk about later. Or actually, we'll talk about right now. Coach of the Year. Billy Donovan's been one of the surprise picks for this award. I mean, if you were thinking about this, like, how many months ago now, in, like, October – You weren't going to pick Billy Donovan to win the award because to be fair, he's had a pretty shaky track record as the coach of the Thunder. He's had really talented teams. He's coached KD, he's coached Paul George, and obviously Russell Westbrook. But um, they never really accomplished what people thought they could. And Mm -hmm. this year they traded for Chris Paul in the off season. And a lot of people were picking the Thunder to be bottom dwellers in the Western Conference and a lottery team. And instead, they turned that around and became one of the better teams in the Western Conference. They were tied with the Rockets before the NBA restart, the team they traded Russell Westbrook to. Mm -hmm. And just in general, they've surprised a lot of people. So there's definitely him. Uh, Do you want to talk about Nick Nurse?
1: Yeah. Well, we'll first, before I uh, talk about Nurse, uh, with Billy Donovan like um, like you said like I was completely shocked with how well they've been playing because you know we talked about the Chris Paul trade it stemmed with the Paul George trade because that was the start of this blow the blow up at least I thought like they traded away Paul George got uh, first round picks got a young piece in Shea and then they made the Russell Westbrook trade got Chris Paul back in. remember there was talk that Chris like they wanted to trade chris paul away because they wanted to continue this like crazy rebuild but no one wanted to take chris paul and c- first of all give credit to chris paul for accepting his role i mean getting 40 million a year doesn't help it uh, doesn't make it bad either but uh yeah <laughs> um you know like him staying OK okc providing the leadership also a good time for chris paul to really showcase the type of skills he does have like I think that people have underrated Chris Paul, especially uh, when he was playing in Houston because it wasn't game. Um, it didn't, playing in Houston didn't really allow him to really showcase the talents that he had. People kind of forgotten a little bit. And him being the main guy in OKC, okay, you really get to see what he's capable of. And um, definitely am surprised about how OKC's played this year. Um, another contender for coach of the year, Nick nurse. I would definitely say Nick nurse, uh, by the way, Nick nurse is my pick for coach of the year. Um, because of the fact that like, you know, Kawhi Leonard leaving the team, the Raptors were the most disrespected, uh, NBA champions I've ever seen in terms of people were not giving the Raptors the respect that they deserve. They weren't even giving them contender level, like respect. Um, and Nick nurse really showcased, um, I mean, even during the playoffs last year, and then now really this year, um, how good of a coach he is. I remember seeing a quote, uh, from an anonymous assistant coach saying that they had like 20 defensive schemes that it was impossible to, uh, to combat that. So I thought that was really, really funny, but, um, he's just a very good coach, um, and has made this team play with very little ego and a lot of team chemistry and i think that's exactly what you want in a coach Um, i don't know if you agree with that
0: i definitely agree with that Um, just to sidetrack a little or backtrack a little bit the just one nugget i wanted to point out is that the thunder are one of the best clutch teams in the league so um Mm -hmm. that's something to mention about them in terms of the raptors and nick nurse I think Nick Nurse is one of the brightest basketball minds in the league, in my opinion. He's always tinkering with all these different defenses, like box and one, um, the the very aggressive trap he used against the Mavericks, for example, just mm-hmm. two examples of his um, really out-of-the-box thinking in terms of defense. I think he's also one of the best coaches in terms of player management, I think a very underrated part of coaching is that if a player is not playing well and they're not playing well on a specifically on defense, if that's your emphasis, then you shouldn't play them. Right. I think that's, you you have to send a message down to your players that if you're not going to provide that effort on the defensive end, then you're not going to get minutes. And that's specifically why Terrence Davis hasn't gotten as many minutes as Patrick McCaw has when both of them are in the lineup. And I know that decision is kind of frustrating for a lot of Raptors fans, including myself, because I see Terrence Davis and I think he should be playing at every opportunity. But if you look at a guy like that was previously coaching for the Raptors, like Dwayne Casey, for example, mm-hmm. he would always play his players, even if they weren't playing well. But I think there's always at least one player on the roster that's itching, itching to get playing time. There's 15 guys on the roster for a reason. So Nick Nurse isn't afraid to give those guys a shot, especially when the team was injured. He went to so many different players. And that's another testament to his coaching. He's had to play with so many different lineups this year. And there's not really a level of consistency in the lineup to where you can get comfortable with your rotation. So he's still getting used to, like even now, he's getting used to having all his players back. And right. that's just a testament to Nick Nurse as a coach. He's so adaptable. He can make changes on the fly. He can make changes over time. And he's also not going to put his entire like, game plan, and especially like the really good ones, he's not going to use them until the postseason. And that's probably a credit to that anonymous quote that you saw about um, how the Raptors have 20 different defenses, and it pisses like, assistant coaches off to game plan for it and i think it was definitely disrespectful when the nba's coaches association didn't name nick nurse as uh their their coach of the year they picked uh, billy donovan who's well deserved and coach budenholzer from the bucks who i don't think really deserves credit yeah. this year although to be fair the bucks have been very good but i think donovan and nurse definitely deserve it more than him and Another guy that we can talk about is uh, Taylor Jenkins, I believe. Taylor Jenkins from the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, how about you talk about them since the Grizzlies are like, I don't know, are they low-key your team or you've just been following them a lot this season, right? I've
1: just really loved the dynamics of that team. I really love how young and exciting they are. And I, I do root for underdogs, um, especially with how um, Andre low key, disrespected the team. Um, but yeah, I think that Jenkins just based off the improvements from last year or even the improvement of expectations this year, I didn't see them being uh in the race like they are right now. Um, that's why he deserves to have his name in the conversation. I also want to take the time to mention Eric Spostro from the Miami Heat, another um contender, because of the fact that like You know, I think that the Miami Heat has also exceeded expectations. I didn't expect them to be as deep of a team as they are this year. And Spolster deserves credit. I think that this has been his most impressive year as a coach. I think that it's kind of easy to uh, have a good team when you have the big three of LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. This year, um, he's really... And even in years past, like when he didn't have the players, he was still able to coach them to the best of their abilities to the point where they're a competitive team always i've never looked at the miami heat and been like that's a terrible team that's an easy win for us it's always going to be a hard fought game um so he definitely deserves the conference uh to be in the convo and then i just want to go back to the raptors one more thing nick nurse is um nick nurse uh really believes in his players and I know this was a moment from last year, but I wanted to bring it up again, was during the NBA playoffs, uh, Fred Van Fleet was struggling the first two rounds. And, you know, people were calling for his head in that, like, people were saying, oh, they should give Jeremy Lin a chance. Um, and, like, bench Fred Van Fleet, but um, Nick Nurse stayed with his lineups, um, believed in his players, and it worked out in the end. And he made some people look like fools, to be honest. Um, but, a lot of people. <laughs> but, yeah, that's why Nick is my cont- uh, contender. But those are also – all those other coaches were uh, definitely deserve to be the combo as well.
0: A couple people Nick Nurse made look like fools. Uh, Stephen A. Smith. Uh, who else? Uh, Brett Brown. Um, yeah. Coach Budenholzer. Uh, uh, pretty much anybody he matched up with in the playoffs, he made them look like clowns. And just to go back on how, um, Nick nurse still has confidence in his players. Uh, Nick, uh, even, uh, Fred Van fleet, uh, a couple of days ago when, uh, they beat the heat, uh, he was talking about how Nick nurse is just, actually not even when they beat the heat, it was just a video I saw from a basketball breakdown, B-ball breakdown, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen them on YouTube, but, um, they're just a channel that breaks down basketball games and stuff, but, um. They interviewed Fred Van Flee and they were just, t- he was just talking about how Nick Nurse always instills confidence in them to um, play to the best of their abilities. And that's like part of being a coach. You have to manage that aspect of the game where you're instilling confidence, but you're also being hard on players where if you're not providing the effort that I know you can as a player, then you're not going to play. So I think there's a, there's a key balancing act in being a coach and it's definitely not easy to do but I think Nick Nurse is probably the, the best coach in the association right now and there's no way he wins he doesn't win this award if he if he loses the award I'm gonna call a riot uh, let's just leave it at that mm-hmm. uh, um, okay that 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 was a little extreme but <laughs> d- defensive player of the year um there's a lot of picks well not really a lot of picks there's three guys usually that are in the running for this. Uh, I just want to talk about Rudy Gobert real quick. I know he locked down the league for a couple months and kind of ended professional sports, but to be serious with it, he's one of the better defenders every year because his rim protection is a big part of Utah's defense. They're one of the top defensive teams because his presence in the paint is so intimidating where it's going to, keep players out of the paint and forcing jump shots. So for that reason, I think he's always in the running, but he's the back-to-back and defending defensive player of the year. So in terms of him winning, I don't really have him. Uh, How about the other two candidates, Jeff? What do you think about uh, Anthony Davis and Giannis Antetokounmpo? Uh,
1: Definitely. They are definitely the top two candidates. Um, I would probably give it to Giannis um Giannis is just a freakish athlete in that he can defend one to five um and I believe there was a statistic that um opponents are only shooting 41.9% against him at the rim which is the best rate among players who have contested at least 50 shots at the rim on the season which is insane Um, I know that um, they have a guy, Brooke Lopez is also a very good defending sender. Um, But with the Lakers, they also have Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee who are shot blockers. Um, So I think that to be, even though it's close, I would give it to Giannis, a defensive player of the year. What do you think?
0: I think the defensive metrics are in Giannis' favor. And Mm -hmm. That could be, like you are saying, a a testament to the Lopez brothers because they have those tall bodies in the paint that can defend the paint as well as Giannis. But the thing with Giannis is, and I think I may just be underrating Anthony Davis a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I think think Giannis' perimeter defense is a little bit ahead of Anthony Davis just because I look at Giannis and he's way more active, especially on a – night-to-night bases where he's playing around like 30 minutes a game because the Bucks are usually blowing out their teams that they play. But Giannis's defensive capabilities, like being able to guard one through five and being able to be that anchor on defense, he's a big reason of why the Bucks defense is what it is. And he's also a big reason why the Bucks are at the top of the league right now um i really don't have anything to say about anthony davis partly because i never catch those west coast games especially when the nba restart didn't start yet and it was like ten thirty at night especially when we were still in school man I, I could not stay up for those games at all so i haven't seen a lot of anthony davis this year but he always is in the conversation too because his statistics are like historical um he's got like one of the best PR ratings and that's not like really, well, that's a little bit about defense, but I think Anthony Davis is just not going to win any awards because he's playing on a team with LeBron James. And mm-hmm. we can get into that talk a little bit now with the MVP race because Giannis is also one of the leading candidates as well as Anthony Davis's teammate, LeBron James. Um, in terms of MVP, I think Giannis has to be the guy that has to take it too. I think he's going to become like the first player since Hakeem Olajuwon to win MVP and defensive player. Um, and the only other guy to do that other than Hakeem is Michael Jordan. So he'd be put in a very, very, very prestigious conversation with those two guys there. Um, but I think Giannis has just been the best player overall the whole season. And he hasn't sat out any games at all. Really. He's been consistently good. And the Bucks have been consistently the best team in the league. So I don't see how he doesn't win the award. Although there are a lot of people in the media that are pushing for LeBron to win MVP. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, I, think I agree with Giannis. Giannis is, should be unanimous. Um, what, so we all just talked about his impact on the defensive and offensive end, averaging 29.6 points per game. Um, He has a 0.552 field goal percentage, which is one of the top in the league. Um, And just the fact that he's also averaging 13 rebounds, 5.8 assists, so he can do all those things. And then also just being on the number one team in the NBA, it's got to go to Giannis. Like he's been doing it on the offensive end, defensive end, and he's a big part of a winning team. It's got to go to him. Uh, LeBron James, his name always has to be there because, of course, he's going to be. He has been one of the best players in the league for years. Um, um, but his numbers have just not been as impressive. Uh, his scoring, he's only 14th in scoring. And, um, but he does average 10.4 assists. and I, That's probably due to the fact that he's taking a backseat role uh, to give more points to Anthony Davis. But Giannis is, in terms of superstar-wise, he's alone, um, and he's had that much impact on winning. It's got to go to Giannis, absolutely.
0: Like if you look at the Bucks, uh, if you take away Giannis, I don't think they're they're not even like they might be an eight seed maybe, because Chris Middleton's still a really solid player. But Giannis, just in general, his impact on the Bucks' success, it's Everybody knows that Giannis is like the best player in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Um, regular season, anyway. Playoffs is a different uh, conversation, which we can talk about later. Just some other players to mention for MVP real fast. James Harden, he's always going to be in the conversation because of his statistics. If Although I don't them. think, yeah, his scoring numbers in particular. But I don't think he gets it this year just for the fact that um, the Rockets have been kind of up and down for most of the season. They've uh, been successful in spurts and they've also had some shaky moments, but um, Mm -hmm. that's kind of against his case. There's also Luka Doncic, who I think was like an early favorite early on in the season. Yeah. Um, But I don't think he's going to get it either just because like James Harden, the Mavericks and Luka haven't been consistent for most of the season in terms of winning. And when you look at MVP winners, there's a, there's a good balance of winning and also like statistical prowess. Yeah. So just on those facts alone, the only two guys you can really talk about are LeBron and Giannis. Maybe AD to an extent if you don't like LeBron. But in terms of this award, Giannis probably takes it no doubt.
1: But Luca's gonna be future MVP candidate for a year. Oh, now. no
0: doubt. 2020's Luca's gonna eat it up, man. He's gonna he's gonna win the MVP at least, I'm gonna say, two, two or three times before his career is over. At at bare minimum.
1: That's bare minimum.
0: Yeah. So that's wrapping up the award talk there. We're gonna talk a little bit about the games we've seen so far in the bubble now. Um, what are some of the teams that have surprised and or maybe even disappointed you so far in terms of their play?
1: Um, of course I've been, uh, watching the Raptors games, and other than, you know, a little bit of rustiness with turnovers and that type of stuff. They've looked pretty impressive. They still look like the strong team. Uh, they were on a winning streak before the, 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 the temporary finish to the season. And then they came back and they won the games they played against the Lakers, which is an impressive win. Um, And then the Miami Heat also an impressive win. Two good teams and they won. Um, I would definitely say that they. At the same time, I wouldn't say they surprised me though, because they're just obviously a very good team and they're just they just keep on winning. In terms of disappointments. I would say a little bit of Boston they're not like just based on the fact that like people have really, really put Boston up there over the Raptors yet they like from from the games I've watched, like they've, they haven't been, I don't, I'm not really scared of them as a Raptors fan. Um, obviously you gotta guys Jason Tatum, Campbell Walker, uh, Jalen Brown. Um, but they're not like the elite scary team that like the media makes them out to be at least in my view what do you think
0: the media loves to put as well especially let's be clear here the u.s media they love to put boston in there as like one of the title contenders especially because mm-hmm. uh the jason tatum hype was was reaching a, fe- a fever pitch before the nba was um shut down for a couple months and. I think a lot of that too is and in, in how Boston is viewed as a contender was on that fact that Jason Tatum was making that ascent. But mm-hmm. on that on that note too, Jason Tatum is so important to their success and he's been very, very, very rusty the last couple of games. Right. So just in general, I think Boston has a pretty good lineup where they have Kemba, Jalen Brown. Um, Mm. Gordon Hayward and they also got Jason Tatum. They got like a four headed monster, but I think a lot of teams could shut that down. Like most notably, I think if they map map. Okay. If they match up with Miami, I don't think they can overcome that defense. Raptors could shut them down. Milwaukee could shut them down and they're even shaky against the Sixers because they don't have a guy to guard Joel Embiid. So. I think Boston is one of those teams that I look at as a pre-tend or pretender more than a contender, if that makes any sense.
1: And then with one more team I wanted to mention for a surprise. Um, not surprised surprise because I devalue the team. I've always seen this team as a strong contender. But they just took another step in my view, which is the Denver Nuggets, just because of the play of – I mean, well, even though Bobo's not going to be a big – part of their lineup Um, when it comes to the real games, like the the playoff games, Um, he's already impressed me with, I didn't expect him to have that impact in in the NBA setting this quickly already. Um, And then with Michael Porter Jr., he just had 37 the other night, very, very impressed. I've always believed in his talent and I think that that was an amazing steal. And then you add, so you add those two players to an already deep, young, exciting team, a team that's centered around Jokic got like Jamal Murray, um, even though Gary Harris hasn't been as impressive these days, uh, these years, um, he's still a, a decent piece. Um, they're just a very deep young team and they will be a contender for years to come and they will be even more dangerous with the improvements of Michael Porter and Bobo throughout the next few years, which I think they will.
0: Yeah, Michael Porter definitely um, surprised me in terms of how he played the other night. He had like 37 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Nuggets won that game in overtime too. So, right. The Nuggets are building a good team down there. And I think they're one of those teams that'll be in the mix for a while just because they have that young talent. Hopefully their players can stay healthy. I think that's the biggest question mark with them in terms of Bol Bol and Michael Porter Jr. That, that was always the knock on them going into the drafts that they were drafted in. So um, we'll have to wait and see for them. But they're already there in terms of, like, pretty solid teams that are going to be playing for some meaningful basketball games in the playoffs. Um, in terms of some teams that have surprised me, San Antonio was one that um, surprised me. I don't know why I continue to be surprised by the Spurs every year because they're always going to – be in the mix as long as Greg, Greg Pavovich is on the bench. Um, going into our talk about the AC last year, or sorry, not last year, last episode, I don't think we even considered the Spurs at all, and that's 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 our bad because, um, you know, we were talking about the teams like Portland and New Orleans, but the Spurs are now in the ninth seed, and they look like they're the ones that might make the play-in game because the Pelicans have lost a couple games. Blazers have lost like one game and won two whereas the so far the Spurs have been undefeated so there's that the Spurs have been pretty surprising I think the Pacers have also been pretty surprising considering they didn't have Oladipo and they lost Sabonis before the bubble started so that was a big blow already to them but TJ Warren has been balling out of his mind like I saw a meme Mm -hmm. on Instagram where um they're basically like comparing TJ Warren's like bubble TJ Warren into like, they're thinking like he's Michael Jordan of the bubble. Hmm. So, I mean, there's that. And I just want to pull up his uh, stats in the bubble right now. I think, yeah, he's averaging 39 points, 39 points a game on 65% field goal shooting and 60% from three. Like that's pretty crazy. If it's anybody that's been like the best performer so far in the bubble, it's definitely been him. And the Pacers have been a surprising team in general. And I just want to talk about the Raptors too. Lastly, I think a lot of people in the US are particularly surprised because they don't watch this team on a daily basis like we do. The Raptors didn't really get too many national TV games this year compared to last year when they had Kawhi. And now that All these U.S. uh, media members are able to see how good the Raptors are. They're like starting to open their eyes to the fact that the Raptors are a true contender. Definitely surprising for them, but for, for guys like us and for the other fans here in Toronto and in Canada in general that have watched this team the whole season, we're not surprised at all at how good the Raptors are playing. This is how they've been all season.
1: I mean this is just I guess a perfect segue to that next transition we're going to have which is going to be talking about the contenders and yeah we can definitely talk uh, start with the Toronto Raptors Um, and I agree with everything you're saying I think that like people under we have a very young deep team Um, I was talking to someone recently about the impact of Norman Powell who just before the bubble I mean, so the end the temporary end of the season. Um, he was falling out of his mind. And, like, he there are spurts where, like, he would be falling out of his mind, and then he would have an injury. And it would suck because I just – I've always been a big fan of Norm Powell back from when we traded uh, Graves Vasquez for him, which is, again, an absolute steal. And I just love everything that represents us, to understand the grind of um, um, – understand the grind and um everything he's been doing. So he, I am a big fan of Norman Powell. Um and then with the team, we just seem to always get these um undrafted young guys like Terrence Davis, who has been very impressive. All we got a guy Matt Thomas, a nice three point shooter, um Chris Boucher and those are the people that just people don't really know. And then we have the guys. We also have just the veterans like Serge Ibaka, Marcus um, and then OG Ananobi, who people think that who, who didn't play last year, really, um, especially in the playoffs. And he is a Kawhi prototype in the way he plays a 3D and guy, very defensive minded. Um, a young guy whose offensive game started off limited, but growing every year to the point where he is a, a respectable three point shooter now, and he's going to continue to grow. Um, and of course, the leadership of Kyle Lowry, Fred VanVleet, and then the all star in Pascal Siakam, and then also Marcus, again, Marcus Saul, even though he's not the same Marcus Saul that he was before, a valuable veteran center who can be a good playmaker just the dynamics of this whole team great chemistry no eagles great ball movement we talked about how good of a coach Nick Nurse is I see the Raptors as a contender even without Kawhi Leonard
0: yeah and I think um all that stuff that you said about the Raptors is very valid and it's is a testament to both the Raptors organizational um structure in terms of them finding those pieces like Hollis Jefferson, Boucher, Terrence Davis, those guys to fill in the gaps, and especially the play of those players that were already there, like Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka. All those guys have stepped up to uh, sort of replace the production that Kawhi and Danny Green provided us last year. I think the biggest question going into the playoffs is, When things slow down and we're in a half-court set, what's going to happen? Who's going to be the guy that's going to be the go-to scorer? Because in general, in this day and age, you need a player that can perform in a half-court set where they're going to be largely doing isos. And the only guy on the team really that I see as the player that they need to do that is Pascal Siakam. So that's the biggest question mark for them going forward in terms of the playoffs is if Pascal Siakam can be that guy. And if he can be, I think the Raptors will repeat. Like then and there, like period. I'm not even going to cap. If, if Pascal Siakam is that guy, the Raptors will repeat. But if um, we'll he's definitely not, we'll definitely he's not it, then yeah. the Raptors ceiling is kind of a little bit lower than that. I mean, we'll definitely see during this, uh, the playoffs
1: um, whether he's able to elevate his game like that. Um, but I do – I have no reason to doubt that right now. I mean, he just keeps on improving, improving. so um, we'll see. Um, I mean, he played very well as a second guy throughout last year's playoffs. Let's see if he makes that next up.
0: Okay. So I like this dynamic we have going on here. Um, So how about you break down the contenders and then I'll sort of poke the flaws in to like what they got. So um, how about we we talk about about about? Milwaukee? I'll start in the East with Milwaukee and then going down and then we'll talk about the West. So first up was uh, the Bucks. What do you think?
1: Of course, they're definitely gonna be one of the top teams. I mean, they are the top team in the league right now, in the regular season. Um, The playoffs are obviously a different animal um, you know, they've got the usual pieces, obviously, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, um, uh, Brooke Lopez, they got Robert Lopez, they've got pieces, you know, on that team. They're a very deep team. They also seem like a team who has fun and has chemistry um, in terms of their warm ups and everything. And like, um, yeah. just also, they're just, but also just how efficient they are and how effortless some of their games can be. Um, they're obviously going to be a very big ca- candidate um, to come out of the East. Um, you know, people are going to obviously the thing we, that people are going to talk about is um, last year's playoffs with how uh, the Raptors um, did defensively against that team, which of course should be noted and credit to the Raptors, of course, but. In some ways, and it's weird to say because the Bucks are the first place team, kind of underrates them in a way because we're kind of like assuming that the Raptors can do that same thing again without Kawhi Leonard, which they possibly can. And I believe that the, the, the scheme that they do have is great. But let's not underrate the, the Bucks. You know, they did give the Raptors a fight, um, even though the Raptors did win four straight. Um, And Kawhi was a big part of that. And now you're essentially replacing that production with OG and Inouye, which OGN Anobi is a good player, a great defensive player. But we'll definitely see. I just, like, I'm not going to be a guy who's going to completely say, oh, the Raptors got it again. We shut down the Bucks last year. We got it again this year. We'll definitely have to see because I just see the Bucks as a very good team, as usual. Like, they're, and Giannis is, a guy who, if the, scary thi- the scariest thing about Giannis is if he ca- if he shoots consistently from three, which he's been showing sh- signs of. And if he can do that, then he's unstoppable. Because we all know Giannis's main game is driving to the lane and then dishing out to a three-point shooter. If he can also be a threat from three consistently in the playoffs, that's a tough matchup to, to guard. Um, and that's why the Bucks. Are probably the favorite, even though I am
0: choose I am
1: rooting for the Raptors to come out of these.
0: Here's my thing with the Bucks. The thing is with them is, I think in general they're still the same team as last year. And I know you didn't want to go for this argument, but that's like, and it's not even the fact that the Raptors stopped them last year is that sort of has me not confident about them. I think the biggest reason why I'm just not confident in the Bucs is that I think more teams know how to stop them this year. And a lot of that stuff doesn't show up in the regular season because you don't want to show off your master defensive scheme when you want to go up against the Bucs. And I think a lot of the knocks that they had last year are still applicable this year. Albeit um, a lot of players have stepped up on their team, like Dante DiVincenzo, for example. He's been really good off the bench this year. Um, have got West Matthews to provide some decent production in the starting lineup. But Mm -hmm. I just think in general, their scheme is, it's not hard to stop if you have the right personnel. So in general, the recipe that you need to stop the Bucks is you need a lot of length. You need a lot of athleticism. You need to be able to contain the three point line, but you also need to be able to have that wall to set up in the paint. And I think a lot of teams have that blueprint on the roster. We already mentioned the Raptors. Um, a big question is if they can still do the same thing they can do last year in that scheme. And I think they can. They can use guys like OG Pascal, sort of provide that Kawhi initial defender role. And they still got Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol in the paint in order to um, contest at the rim. And they've also got loads of, perimeter defenders that can guard the three point line and contest on those shots. I think Miami, like I mentioned earlier, is a team that's really built to defend them well as as well. They got Mm -hmm. Bam Adebayo as that initial defender. They've got Jimmy Butler. They're not as big as the Raptors, but I think they're just about as mobile. So I think that that's another team that can really defend them well. And even like, if you look at the Sixers, they might not have the athleticism, out that the Raptors say have, but they have the size with Joel Embiid. They've got Al Horford, who has given Giannis some problems in the past. So just in general, I think the the recipe to beat the Bucks is you have to stop them on the defensive end. And that that's usually a good recipe for success for a lot of teams. Defense wins championships, but I think just in general, a lot of the knocks that you could give the Bucks last year are still applicable this year. And I think it will show a lot more in the earlier rounds, like especially in the second round, if they meet Miami, I think it'll be a tough series for them to get out of.
1: I definitely agree. And you, you mentioned Miami. I guess that's the next thing we can talk about. Um, what are your thoughts on Miami?
0: I love Miami as a team. Uh, I didn't get to talk about Spolstra, Spolstra earlier, but I think he's a coach that hasn't gotten a lot of credit in his career because he's gotten – that big three of lebron james dwayne wade and chris bosh but he's always been one of the best coaches in the league like you were saying um there's never a season where you match up against miami and you think you're gonna blow them out like you were saying too and this year i like their lineup a lot because they're a lot deeper than team or other people or other even like fans would look at surface value because they got Goran Dragic, who is their starting point guard for most years, coming off the bench now. They've got Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero as those shooters in the shooting guard spot. And both players play a little bit different. Like Duncan Robinson plays kind of like a J.J. Redick type off like dribble handoffs and screens, popping threes. Whereas Tyler Hero has more of a handle and he can take it a little bit off the dribble. So they can like change their style depending on like which player they play. And they got obviously Jimmy Butler's leadership and defense. I think he's also a big part of why Miami is a scary team to play in the playoffs. Um, he can lock up pretty much anybody in the small forward spot, even like two guards and point guards as well, if he needs to. Um, and then in their power forward spot, they're not really like too deep. They've got Myers Leonard and Kelly Olynyk, two guys that can shoot it a little bit. And their big piece is obviously Bam out of bio, like we were saying earlier is a, uh, defensive and offensive versatility just gives them so many options um he can take up the ball at the court after getting a rebound and set, set guys off for plays he loves to run the dribble handoff with duncan robinson and just in general i think they have the personnel as well as um the defensive schemes to contain and really challenge a lot of teams in the east i think in general their matchup versus uh their matchup versus my Milwaukee, like I was saying, is one that I'm looking forward to. And I think a lot of people are counting out the heat, kind of like the Raptors. Though a little bit less because they're in the States. But I think in general, they're a team that I wouldn't be surprised if they made it to the Eastern Final. And they're definitely a team as a Raptors fan that I'm scared to face because of Bam Adebayo's defense, particularly on Pascal Siakam. But I definitely see them as one of the... Over, over Boston and Philadelphia, I think they're probably like the third team I would consider as like top tier contenders in the East. Obviously with Milwaukee and Toronto there as well.
1: I agree with everything you're saying. I just see that team as a very well balanced team with everything. You know, they've got um, shooters, as we talked about um, in Hero and Duncan Robinson. Uh, making of a veteran point guard in Goran Dragic. Dragic. Um, That's Kendrick Nantu as a point guard, not bad player. Um, and then they've got like a lot of good 3 and D wing defenders. You know, we talk obviously Jimmy Butler is that prototype guy. Um, you also got um, Jay Crowder and to a lesser degree in just because of the, the, his age, Andre Iguodala. though so he still will be valuable. And then, of course, having uh, a guy like Bam Adebayo helps as well. They just got a very good team. They don't have the superstar. Um, think about this. I have a question for you. Who, you. who do you think is a better player, Siakam or Jimmy Butler?
0: Mm, I was thinking you were going to bring that up because uh, Kendrick Perkins brought that up a couple of weeks ago. He'd take Pascal over Jimmy Butler. I think it depends on what you value in a player if you value a little bit more of playmaking and uh, in terms of Pascal Siakam, just his uh, athleticism is a little bit better than Jimmy Butler's. And obviously that could be to age as well, but I would still take Pascal. And I mean, minded, like I'm wearing a Raptors shirt. I'm a Raptors fan. You could take that with a grain of salt, but I think it depends also on what you need in a player. If we're talking about like player to take the last shot in a game, where like it's tied. I think I'm taking Jimmy Butler over Pascal right now, just cause I don't have the confidence yet in Pascal for those moments. Cause we haven't seen him in that time where he's the number one guy where he has to take the Kawhi shot or like, you know, Jimmy Butler's had shots like that in his career too. Um, he hasn't had that opportunity to prove himself yet but he will this postseason. So we'll have to see if he can succeed in those moments. But um, yeah, like on that conversation too of taking Jimmy Butler or Pascal Siakam, I think those two guys are also the keys to Miami and Toronto's success. Like the same knock that you can give the Raptors, you can give to Miami where if Jimmy Butler isn't that guy that can score in in isolation in a a half-court set where defense is swarming, then Miami's ceiling is definitely lower than it can be. But Jimmy Butler has proved in the past that he can be that guy. So we'll have to, again, wait and see if uh, he can do that this postseason. But Miami is definitely a team that I think a lot of people are sleeping on. But a team that a lot of media members are not sleeping on for sure are Boston and Philadelphia. For the whole season, you just hear how Boston and Philadelphia are still like you know the teams other than Milwaukee to beat. Um, How about we start off with Boston? What do you see in that roster in terms of their makeup and how they've played?
1: So they replaced Kemba Walker. I sorry, Kyrie Irving with Kemba Walker. I think that's just based on the team chemistry there. Uh, They also lost Al Horford. Um, So they're just more like young team in terms of fluidity and just um, athleticism. The the impact of Jason Tatum, like the Boston Celtics go as far as Jason Tatum go. Um, Jalen Brown is also uh, an important piece. Jessica Giles-Marcus Smart. Um, I see them as a good team, but like I said earlier, I don't, they're not as, they're not the contenders that they are portrayed as I still think they're, they're a piece or two away from really being a deep, scary team. So, um, I don't know. Do you agree with that?
0: I think, uh, Boston in general, isn't as deep as they're made out to be. They've yeah. got those four guys in their starting lineup, like what we were saying earlier that are like really good, a good starting four with, um, usually they got run, they're running Daniel Tice and his Kanter at the five, but mm-hmm. In terms of their bench, like, besides, like, one guy like Brad Wanamaker, for example, I can't really think of too many guys off the bench um, that are as trustworthy as guys like Miami has with um, Crowder, Iguodala, they've got Hero. They've got so many options on the bench in terms of Miami, even the Raptors. They've got a lot of guys on the bench, too, though, to be fair, Benches aren't as important in the playoffs because you're running tighter rotations, usually around like right. seven, eight guys. But I think Boston in general, they're just kind of, their biggest weakness is their front court. They're definitely going to get exploited by Philadelphia. If they meet in the first round, Joel Embiid's probably going to average like 40 on them if he's playing 30 minutes a game. Um, yeah. So we'll have to see if uh, the Sixers and Brett Brown can get out of that series with a, uh, six with the Celtics. But I think too, going on the same lines as, um, Boston, Philadelphia has been a team that a lot of media members have overrated. And to be fair, I think, uh, to start off the season, even I was saying that Philadelphia is a pretty good team to look out for, but just in general, they've looked so dysfunctional this whole season, this whole season, they've been dealing with, uh, the Ben Simmons shooting drama, um, and now they've been dealing with some drama in, internally with Shake Milton and Joel Embiid getting into it and just in general their team it's not as scary as it was last year because last year they had the leadership of Jimmy Butler they had the shooting of JJ Redick and just in general i'm not as afraid of them as last year especially if you're the raptors and uh honestly boston philadelphia i don't see them winning too much here i I really think the three teams to look out for in the east are milwaukee just because they've been the best team this whole year toronto i think toronto could have been better than the record suggests because they've lost so many players to injuries and they haven't had their top guys in rotation for most of the year um and then miami if i had to pick one of those three teams to come out the east I'm going to pick Toronto just because of their recent play. I think the way they're playing in the bubble and the way their game is, the rust isn't as big of a factor for them. They can still be shooting really bad. They can still be sh- turning over the ball like 15 times a game, which I hope they're not personally Like going into October. But I think their game in general is adaptive to where they can be shooting bad. They can be turning over the ball, but they're still going to hang their hat on defense. And that's, what's going to give them a chance to win against any team in the East. Um, and the second team I'd probably pick is Miami for all the, all the reasons I mentioned earlier. Um, I don't know. It's just me. Am I underrating the bucks or maybe I'm just not high on the bucks? What do you think?
1: Well, I agree with putting the Raptors up there. Um, It's a toss up between the Bucks and Miami for me for the two and three. Um, But I do think that I'll give the Bucks the edge because I just think I see Giannis as the best player out of everyone. So, um, and I think that Giannis has some motivation from last year. I I think he was kind of embarrassed with how the playoffs ended last year. And I think he's a man on a mission. You know, I think that he, as much as people, we've talked about how people know how to adjust to the way the Milwaukee Bucks play. I'm sure that Giannis is at least somewhat aware of that because, you know, Giannis is the MVP. well, going to be the MVP. So people, he's, he's probably aware of that. And he's probably making adjustments to himself including making sure that he has a consistent threat at the three-point line. So I would definitely put Bucks number two and Miami a strong three um, as my contenders of the East.
0: All right. So now we're going to take things to the West Coast. Let's talk about the L.A. teams, the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, From what I've seen of the Lakers so far, granted, only a couple games um, in the bubble so far, Teams are rusty, so take this all with a grain of salt. But I just think, in general, like from what I've seen, the Lakers' depth is not that great. Like you got Dion Waiters out here taking too many shots. I think, and that's Dion Waiters as a player. Um, mm-hmm. They got J.R. Smith who can knock down threes here and there. Um, Alex Caruso is a really good player, and that's not even just going to the, like the memes of Alex Caruso. He's actually a really good contributor. But um, just in general, like the way I see the Lakers is kind of the same way I see the Celtics in that they have better stars in L.A., but their bench depth is not as good as some other contenders. So it's definitely tough for me to rate them because they also have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who are like two of the best five, two of the best five in the NBA, in my opinion. So it's tough to say right now how good the Lakers really are. But, I mean, you can't really count out LeBron in any playoff series. So, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for now. But, I don't know. You you can't even pick them confidently against the Clippers. Like, What do you think?
1: Well, just like you said, you can never doubt LeBron James, the greatness of LeBron James. He's always proven that you know in the playoffs he's another animal um his scoring his playmaking his effort goes up you know he's at an older age so he really knows how the importance of conserving his energy until the playoffs and i do w- remember um before the start of the season um about how he's really motivated this year to win he is determined to win a championship and adding a guy like anthony davis you have like you said those two players you're always going to be in the conversation um for contending the the problem the issue is the depth of that team um it didn't help that they lost Avery Bradley um, because of the bubble covid um they've got players like Dwight Howard Jabberki um even though Danny Green shot poorly against the raptors i don't i won't bank on him playing that bad throughout the playoffs. um he's got the veteran leadership he's going he's a pretty good three-point shooter um inconsistent but he can hit the clutch shot here there these at his age right now um but other than that you know jr smith always an x factor he can be he can get be super super hot but then he can also be super super cold beyond waiters not a bad player um, but not the greatest player either. Um, I think the combination you would, the Lakers would prefer the co- uh, guy like Avery Bradley over the combination of a J.R. Smith, Dion Waiters. Um, it it really stems on how well LeBron can get the production out of his the bench players he has because the thing that people forget is because of how weird this season has been there wasn't a trade deadline. So I imagine that if it was a regular season, uh, the Lakers would have tried to make some trades. Now, if the trades would have actually happened, I don't know. It could have had the whole, the same impact that like the Miami Heat had when the Heat was um, trying to make trades and the teams just refused to play with them. Um, I started trade with them. But I do think the Lakers would have tried to get a few more pieces And um, because they couldn't do that. They're stuck with the team that they have. And with the current team that they have, um, I'm a little little questionable of that team. But uh, like I said, Lakers having LeBron and Anthony Davis will put them in the conversation. Will I have them confidently in coming out of the West? I'm not 100% sure on that. But I will pick them just because of LeBron James.
0: They're kind of like a a really unconfident or, like, shaky choice for it. They're like, I think the Lakers... Like, that's kind of the rap I got for them right now. And their scrimmage game against the Raptors definitely did not help on my impression of them because Anthony Davis, for the most part, was neutralized. LeBron looked pretty irritated the whole time. And, I mean, again, like, people have to take these uh, bubble games with a grain of salt because... A lot of players are still really rusty and a lot of players are still trying to get back in the game shape. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt in the bubble. But from everything we've seen from the Lakers so far, even their win against the Clippers, it was against a shorthanded Clippers team that didn't have Lou Williams, shout out to Magic City and uh, Montrez Harrell, who is unfortunately dealing with a loss in his family. So you have to take all that with a grain of salt with the Lakers. And that's a great segue into the Clippers because I kind of view, view them the same way. Uh, they've been pretty good the whole season, although they've missed Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for most of the season. Mm-hmm. The talk of the town is that Paul George is healthy now. His uh, shoulders are now repaired. So healthy Paul George going to the playoffs. Maybe we'll see some playoff pee. Um Just in general, though, the Clippers, the way I see them too is – They're a team that has a lot more depth than the Lakers for sure. They've got Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell. Um, They also picked up Reggie Jackson and I believe, is it Marcus Morris? It's Marcus, right? Markeith is on the Lakers. So that'll be an interesting matchup if they match up in the Western Finals, you know, the Morris twins.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I would definitely say that, you know, Having a guy like Kawhi Leonard, of course, he's going to be a top uh, player and he, he elevates his game in the playoff as well. Um, and the d- defense that he played against uh, LeBron, even though, again, just a, just a regular seating game um, just really shows the type of impact that he can have and the type of defense he might play against LeBron in the playoffs. Paul George, um, him being the secondary player, maybe that will Elevate his play because he'll ha- he won't have the double teams that he would have if he was the focal player. Um, and when the bench players come back like Lou Williams and Montrez Harris come back, you know, they're going to be a pretty deep team. They also got Morris. Um, so and they got Reggie Jackson. They've got Patrick Beverly. They've got the pieces that they're depth wise. They're deeper than the Lakers um but we'll see how they play also i do in some ways view them as a little bit overrated just because I, and i even i was thinking this too like when the team was first formulated i thought of them as a defensive juggernaut um but they're actually not as uh good of a defensive team or well, at least in the regular season so far, they might step up their game. I think they do have the potential to be that defensive juggernaut, especially in the playoff. Um, but so far, I haven't seen it yet. So that's my little question mark I have on that team.
0: And just to uh, note on that question mark real quick, I think I saw a statistic where when Patrick Beverly and Kawhi Leonard are playing in the same game, their defense sort of like skyrockets into like one of the top two defenses in the league, like in terms Mm -hmm. of defensive rating. So I think that's also because like, you know, Kawhi's missed time. Paul George has been in and out of the lineup as long as, as well as um, other players on their team. So they haven't had their full team for most of the season. So I think their numbers are a little bit um, not as telling as some other teams, kind of similar to the Raptors. But yeah, I think for me, when it comes down to these two teams, I'd only pick the Lakers just because we haven't seen a LeBron versus Kawhi matchup in a while. And I just don't like betting against LeBron James. Like, I've bet against LeBron James a lot in my life. Um, Most notably when Derrick Rose was, you know, MVP Derrick Rose. I made a bet with my dad uh, that the Bulls would win and I lost. Yeah, so LeBron has broken my heart a lot of times as a fan. So I I just learned not to bet on him. But uh, if it's anybody that could take them down in the West, I would say the Clippers are one of the better teams to uh, do that. They're better equipped than most teams. Uh, Some other contenders we can talk about, Denver and Houston. Which one do you want to talk about first?
1: Uh, Let's talk about the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Very Another underrated team just because of location, you know, Denver, Colorado. Um, but they are a very well deep team. You know, the focal point, Nikola Jokic, who, you know, actually we didn't really talk about him as an MVP candidate, but he usually should be in the conversation, um, because of how impactful he is on that team. He's a focal point. He's a playmaking point guard. I'm sorry. A pl- sorry, a playmaking center, which is, um, a very 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 interesting um, role to have uh, and a very good role to have in today's NBA. Um, and then you got a guy like Jamal Murray, and we talked about earlier before about the, the play of Michael Porter Jr. and Bol Bol. Um And then they've got Gary Harris, they've got they've got a deep team. And um, maybe not this year. But the next few years, they're going to be contenders. Um, there's not much more to say other than that, but they are going to be, they're not going to be an easy knockout. That's for sure.
0: I think too, it depends on who they match up with. If they match up with a team that doesn't necessarily have the best front court, then Jokic can definitely feast. I mean, I don't know if you saw skinny Jokic, but uh, he's definitely come back a lot healthier um, in terms of his uh, physicality. Um. I think too about Jokic just on his like MVP bid. I think a lot of the reason why he doesn't get consideration is because he usually starts out the season kind of slow and that might just be due to his fitness level. Um, yeah, he, he starts the seasons kind of slow so he doesn't always get the the consideration that he probably should because he definitely has the talent, I think, to win MVP at some point. You know, he's putting up like, 20 points 20 rebounds 10 assists like that's that's pretty uh like fantasy type numbers like 2k numbers so i think in general i agree with you that denver will be there in the future um as of now i think they're a team that can give a team like if they match up with the clippers for example i think they could give them a scare because they don't necessarily have like too many big guys they've got Zubac, I think. They got Zubak running their center spot when Montrose Hale is not. And they're not the biggest team. So I can see them giving problems to uh, the Clippers. But aside from that, I don't really see them as like a true contender. They're kind of um, the Western equivalent of Boston, I would say. They're like a team that's probably set for the future. But they're just not quite there yet, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then the Houston Rockets... Probably the biggest wild card of all of them in the Western Conference or even in the league in general. They've taken a radical approach to the game where they've ditched the traditional lineups of having a center. They've just gone with four shooters and Russell Westbrook as their main lineup. So Russell Westbrook has the keys to drive to the lane whenever he wants. He has the best spacing of his entire career. So that shows up in his numbers where he's like putting up really good numbers in Houston. And obviously they still have James Harden, who is an MVP candidate, although he has not performed as well in the playoffs. So I think the biggest knock on the Rockets in general is that their style is kind of gimmicky, where they're shooting a bunch of threes a lot. And obviously threes are the best shot to take in the game in these days, but when they do match up with a team, like let's say they match up with the Blazers or they match up with the Nuggets, they're going to get exposed in the paint. And I think, too, their scheme isn't that hard to defend because you just need one guy really to watch the paint, one Russell Westbrook's going to drive, and then you've got guys roving the perimeter and then defending the three. As long as you contain the three, the Rockets are kind of done because that's, that's their offense. Let's just drive, kick, shoot pass to the open man shoot so the way they're playing it's kind of like one of the biggest gambles if they're popping threes and making like a ton of them they could blow teams out but it's like a double-edged sword if they're missing all those shots then they're they live and die by the three basically what do you think
1: yeah i mean they've when they made that Uh, trade for covington i was like wow they're really committed to this scheme you know and getting rid of a guy like clint capella who's the one center who can be the shot blocker grab the rebound that was a very very interesting move um like you said they're taking a huge gamble with the type of game they're playing you know with the antoni system and how they're trying to really adjust to today's nba that's why they're making the move, especially with analytics. So a lineup of, I believe it's Westbrook, Harden, House, um, like Rocco and PJ Tucker at center. That's a very, very interesting lineup. I think again, like, especially with a team with like centers or big men who are not good at guarding the perimeter, they will definitely take advantage of that. But then on the other end, like, a guy like, like we talked about earlier, Jokic, could just dominate against a, a team like that. Um, so, gamble, but I think that there, there'll be an exciting team to watch. I think Westbrook's always an exciting player to, to see in terms of his athleticism and driving to the lane. And then James Harden, uh, scoring machine, not as much in the playoffs because he can be neutralized a bit, but still fun team um but we'll see i we put them as contenders just because of the fact that they do have two stars hard westbrook but in terms of their legitimacy in contending um well i don't think they'll be an easy knockout but i don't see them as like a real team that could come out of the west
0: and just to go on the note of like jokic dominating them i think there's a couple guys in the Western Conference that could average like 40 points on them. Anthony Davis, if they meet up with the Lakers, you got Nurkic, I don't think he'll drop 40, but he can definitely drop 30 on them a game if he wants to. Um, Right. And if the Blazers make it in, obviously. Um, And obviously Jokic. There's just, there's a lot of bigs in the Western Conference that can dominate the paint. But besides that, like, just in general the rim protection is kind of shoddy if you think about it like they got rid of their best rim protector the only center i think they have on the roster is a a pretty washed up tyson chandler which is not a good option to go to when you need a rim protection in a pinch he'll probably only give you like 10 minutes max um so you can even look at guards like uh damian lillard um look at look look at look at Okay, that that was like a tongue twister. Look at Luka Doncic. Let's try mm-hmm. to say that ten times fast. Look at Luka Doncic. He he's a guy also that could get to the rim. Uh, look at LeBron. He could dominate the paint versus the Rockets. I mean, just in general, they're they're like I was saying, their game plan is really gimmicky, and it's highly dependent on if they can make those threes at a high rate. If they can. They can have a surprise knockout against, like, maybe one of the higher contenders. But I wouldn't bet on the Rockets. Let's just leave it at well, – that's what I would fair, say.
1: To be fair, a guy like Rocco and um, P.J. Tucker are very good, like, one-on-one defenders. So, yeah. Especially in the perimeter. So they'll definitely cause some issues for teams in that way.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think we've done a pretty decent job of breaking down the contenders. Um, and in terms of that, we don't really have anything else left on our schedule here. What else do you have? Um, do you have any other takes that you didn't get to get through this uh, entire time?
1: Well, there, were, there are other teams, but we'll definitely see that. Well, first of all, there are other teams, but they're not. we don't really view them as contenders necessarily. But we'll see how they do, and we'll talk about them more as the season progresses. Uh, I wanna give a shout out to Devin Booker for that game-winner against the Clippers. That was nasty. Um, and also like how the Suns, uh, sorry, the Suns uh, celebrated after that. That was kind of a cool moments, you know. Uh, but especially with um, the future of Devin Booker with the Suns, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but that was a good moment for them. Um, and over the Clippers too, so. Very, very impressive.
0: Poor Paul George, man. Poor Paul George. He's just like the poster child now of getting, like, game winners hit on him.
1: Like, you look at Damian
0: Lillard pulling up from, like, 40. And now D-Book pulling up a fadeaway shot in front of his face. I mean, man, Paul George just can't catch a break. I feel bad for him. But I also kind of don't because, as a Raptors fan, he kind of screwed up us bringing back Kawhi by uh, orchestrating a trade to the Clippers. So Um, good riddance to Paul George, but also low-key, I feel bad for you. I feel for you, man. Um, Yeah. Do you have anything else to add, Jeff, in terms of uh, anything we talked about today?
1: Not really, just excited to see more NBA basketball and can't wait for the playoffs to start because that's when the real stuff happens.
0: Right. So I just want to quickly shout out, we are on Instagram at NBA Most Valuable Podcast. You can mm-hmm. follow us on our personal Instagrams: Jeff Traminator and JPEG John. Um, if there are any sp- potential sponsors listening, feel free to reach out um, on Instagram or anywhere you feel anywhere you see us. Feel free to reach out. We're always happy to um, add a sponsored message into the podcast if if uh, you know if the sponsorships come in and. We want to thank you guys again for listening to the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. We'll be back again next week to discuss potentially playoff brackets and what we think of the NBA landscape in a week. So till then, I'm John Gallardo.
1: And I'm Jeffrey Tran.
0: Thank you for listening to the Most Valuable Podcast. See you guys next time.
1: See ya.